Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're passionate about your city, or maybe just curious about urban design, transit, parks, and politics, tune in to Spacing Radio. Spacing Magazine's monthly podcast features the people, ideas, and movements that help build the cities we live in. Subscribe to Spacing Radio wherever you get your podcasts. How well do you know your neighbors? Probably way better than you did a few months ago. You know which neighbors are musicians as they jam on their balconies, or the ones with kids who love banging pots to show support for our healthcare workers. Maybe you've even made new friends with the neighbors who are delivering groceries up and down the block. We know staying home is necessary to slow the pandemic. It turns out it may have other health benefits too. Concordia's Jennifer McGrath explains how getting to know your neighborhood can impact your health. I'm Jennifer McGrath. How well do you know your neighbors and how well do they know you? My research focuses on how neighborhoods influence health. One of the earliest stories linking neighborhood and health began a short distance from here on the other side of the East River. In the summer of 1809, Brooklyn was experiencing a deadly outbreak of yellow fever. And the medical thinking at the time was that vapors or bad air was causing the disease. Politics were present back then, too. And uh, because there were virtually no cases of disease in Manhattan, several were attempting to pin the blame on Brooklyn and saying it had more filth compared to all the other neighborhoods of New York City. The Concordia was a foreign ship that had arrived from Havana, and it was docked at a wharf in Brooklyn. And two doctors documented that the contagion spread from that ship, and yellow fever was exclusively confined within a circle about 200 yards away from the ship. And they convinced the Board of Health to dispel the theory about bad air and filth. The Concordia played a foundational role in our early understanding of places, health, and infectious disease. Now, not long afterward, across the Atlantic in London, many people were becoming ill uh, with cholera. And again, they blamed vapors or bad air. And they were trying to figure out where these vapors were escaping from the ground. And John Snow was an early medical geographer, and he plotted deaths on a map, which led to pinpointing Broad Street water pump as the source of the cholera epidemic. So importantly, these pioneering work of these medical geographers really reoriented the discussion about the health of individuals to the role of the neighborhood and how the neighborhood played a role in individuals' health. Today, we're really fortunate to have vaccines that target yellow fever, they target cholera, as well as many other contagious infectious diseases. However, stark disparities persist in health across different neighborhoods. One key culprit is poverty. And why do poorer neighborhoods continue to have poorer health? Neighborhoods that are economically disadvantaged have spatially concentrated poverty, residential instability, 
and social disorder, such as crime and violence. And these introduce chronic stressors at the neighborhood level. If you're living in a disadvantaged neighborhood with high poverty or high crime, you're at increased risk for unemployment, dropping out of school, obesity, heart disease, serious mental illness, suicide, and premature mortality, among others. There are some important distinctions, though, that can be learned by comparing the five largest cities in Canada and the U.S. In Canada, low-income neighborhoods are not characterized by segregation of visible minorities, and people are exposed to much lower concentrated poverty and violent crime. So an obvious question that arises is whether the variation of health across neighborhoods is due to the neighborhood environment itself, and one critique is that neighborhood variation may be attributable to non-random sorting of individuals. So what does this mean? It means that there's selection bias because people choose the neighborhoods that they live in. And people at risk for poorer health probably face limited housing options and might be more likely, therefore, to live in poorer neighborhoods. So as scientists, we love random assignment because it isolates causation from correlation. So imagine if we could randomly assign individuals to live in neighborhoods to disentangle the effects of neighborhood disadvantage. Well, in the mid-90s, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development did just that. Moving to Opportunity was a social experiment that randomly gave over 4,000 families living in public housing developments in extremely poor communities the chance to move to neighborhoods with less poverty. So families were randomly assigned to three different groups. An experimental group received a housing voucher and assistance to relocate to a neighborhood that had less than 10% poverty. Another group was provided with a housing voucher to relocate, but they weren't given any assistance or guidance of where to relocate to. And then there was a control group that had no voucher and no assistant. For the families that opted to move, the adults had improved mental health, lower depression, lower psychological distress, and several better health outcomes, including less obesity, diabetes, and physical limitations. But the findings of the experiment weren't actually as dramatic as what they had anticipated. And in fact, there were some disadvantages found, particularly for adolescents, because moving seemed to disrupt their social networks. So the Moving to Opportunity study led scientists to recognize that neighborhood effects on health go beyond poverty and disadvantage. So rather, there are specific area characteristics or contextual effects and resources that can influence health and behaviors. So the characteristics of one's neighborhood or their built environment can make certain lifestyle decisions more viable than others. So examples can include the density of fast food, uh, your distance of what it takes to access healthy food, poor air quality, traffic congestion, noise levels, and just as bad habits can be promoted through no neighborhood factors, so too can good habits. So green space, walkability, access to public parks and activity spaces, biking lanes and reduced noise levels can all promote health and counteract the negative impact of chronic stressors in the neighborhood. Hundreds of studies have linked neighborhood area characteristics to anxiety, depression, substance use, partner violence, <coughs> cardiovascular disease, obesity, 
and decreased physical activity. Now, you could imagine that if you're living next to, say, a, a busy highway like the Major Deegan, if you're adjacent to a subway station, Times Square, Grand Central, or if you're under the flight path of LaGuardia or some other major airport, that could probably disrupt your sleeping habits. My research examines the effects of neighborhood on sleep. And many of you are familiar with wearable devices like Fitbits and the Apple Watch. And we ask families to go to bed wearing a portable device to capture their brainwave activity while they're sleeping. And we find that parents and children who live in neighborhoods with greater noise, crime, and traffic congestion have poorer sleep, even if they say they got a good night's sleep. And specifically, they have more irregular sleep with greater disruptions or microarousals while they're sleeping. Now, a curious finding has been that the neighborhood disorder doesn't actually seem to affect all people equally. Instead, family members who report more stress and ruminating about their neighborhood have worse sleep compared to those that feel safe in their neighborhoods. In other words, the perception of one's neighborhood has a protective buffer against the effect of neighborhood disorder on sleep. And this highlights an important paradigm shift to the idea of social connectedness that we experience within our neighborhood and with our neighbors. The social connectedness or social cohesion refers to neighbors feeling a sense of belonging to their community, that people can be trusted, and that they have attachment to and like living in their neighborhood. And there's also a sense of collective responsibility, that neighbors watch out for one another, that they have a shared willingness to intervene for the common good. Social cohesion is linked to increased well-being, lower social isolation, and enhanced social ties among neighbors. I used to work down the street at Bellevue's psychiatric emergency room, and I was always struck by how many patients would refuse to go to shelters but instead opt to go back to their homeless communities because that was where their family and friends were. Even in the Moving to Opportunity study, the experiment where people were paid to move to better neighborhoods, only about 50% of the people chose to move. And these examples underscore the importance of human connectedness and belonging. Social connectedness seems to matter over and above the neighborhood characteristics. In other words, having a strong sense of social cohesion in your neighborhood seems to provide a protective effect against the crime, the noise, and the lack of resources. Feeling connected with your neighborhood and your neighbors is thought to be the social glue of community problem solving and change making. The behavior of neighbors strongly influences and spreads to others through social contagion. And health is not simply the consequence that neighborhoods have on people but the reciprocal effect that people have on neighborhoods. How well do you know your neighbors? Your health has much to do with this question. Jennifer McGrath is just one of over 800 brilliant Canadians who have graced the stage at the Walrus Talks. Wish you'd been there? Wish granted. Our YouTube channel is a treasure trove of all the Walrus Talks, and we're coming to a city near you, live and in person, as soon as physically possible. Until then, stay in touch with our events newsletter. Find it at thewalrus.ca slash newsletters. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.